Hi there. Welcome to the Business Side of Fitness podcast. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. Each week on the show, I leverage my two decades of experience in the fitness and wellness industry to have meaningful conversations with the movers and shakers behind some of the most well-known and innovative brands in our industry. This show is brought to you by Vanessa Sveriano, LLC. To find out more about working with me, click the link in the show notes. And now the time has come to start the show. Everyone's got a story and it's time to hear from this week's guest. Let's welcome to the show, Alan Leach. He's the 34-year sales and marketing veteran in the fitness industry. Alan is currently the CEO and Director of Sales and Marketing at Westwood Clubs in Dublin, Ireland, with over 38,000 members at seven fitness clubs in Ireland and Sarajevo. Wow. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Vanessa. It's absolutely a delight to be on your show. It really is. Well, it's a true treat to speak with somebody that's been in the fitness industry for so long that has seen all of the twists and turns that we've taken over the course of time. And I'd love, even though I just read a very brief intro for you, I feel like that doesn't do it service. And I'd love for you to share with the audience a bit about your background and all the steps you took to ultimately becoming the CEO of the Westwood Clubs and Chair of Versa. It's a, look, it's a great question, Vanessa. I probably entered the industry like a lot of young people enter the industry today. I was, you know, 20 years of age, 18, 19, 20, and I, I, I was into fitness, not necessarily sport, but, you know, weight training and, and, and running uh, at a young age. And so like anybody at that age, the idea that you could work at that and make a living from that, and, and that's going back to the 1980s, was really unusual there were no gyms in our work in fitness but I got lucky and got a job part-time in a, in a fitness club teaching aerobic classes and then for me what happened is I very quickly by accident ended up in sales in, in a gym in a fitness club um, and I really fell in love with the idea of sales and um, I really got passionate about sales I learned early on in my career that you know at the end of the day most fitness businesses are a business and You've got to make money and pay your bills and try and make a profit and pay your staff. And I learned the way to do that was through sales. And in those days, my career was very much face-to-face selling, phone selling, the usual lead generation things. And then I stayed in the industry. I went back to university and studied marketing for five years while I was still working in a gym. It was quite unusual for me was that most people in the 90s and that who got a degree and a master's degree in marketing would have went into banking or insurance or retail or something like that. But I stayed in the fitness industry. I was looking to work with young, working for this guy and started to use professional marketing and academic marketing to grow that fitness club. And we did things like positioning and branding and market research and all of those tools along with sales. And then, of course, I worked with the companies and the clubs and then I was brought into the Westwood Clubs as sales and marketing and CEO, but we used those sales and marketing systems to grow that company where one of those clubs is 11,200 members. We have about 35,000 in our Dublin clubs, which is the six, and then we have one that's kind of you know, on the side in Sarajevo. So along the way, it was very much for me, which was lucky, I realized the importance of sales and marketing like any industry or any business, sales and marketing is very important. And when I started, very few were using it. 
And that's how I ended up staying in the industry. And then, of course, I became a sales trainer, training people in the US, Brazil, Mexico, Europe, Iceland on sales and marketing. And then, of course, involved a nurse over the year because I originally went to a nursing convention when I was 23. And it was very unusual to travel to the US and go to a conference. And then I've been going ever since. And then, of course, I joined the board and then became the chair. And then that's really it, Vanessa. It's wild how one thing just leads to another yeah. in life. I think sometimes like if I would have told 20 year old Alan, hey, one day you're going to become the CEO, you would have thought, hey, this is just my first job. This is just for right yeah. now. You never know the twists and turns life has in store for us. Well, even it's funny when you say the twists and turns, somebody else asked me recently, how did I end up the fifth this industry? And you look at things. And I remember being in a bookshop at 16 or 17 and on the shelf was the book Pumping Iron with Arnold Schwarzenegger on the cover. And I remember looking at that book and just being, wow, you know, in those age, every young guy is 16 or 17, wants to look like Arnold's. And that's how I got into weight training. And as you say, one thing leads to another. And then I was a member of a gym. And then somebody said, we're looking for somebody. And one thing led to another. And yeah, and that, that's what happened. And as I say, I was lucky enough to end up in a fitness club where sales was part of what they did. And I got good at it and liked it. And yeah, one thing leads to another. And Alan, you have all of this experience working with international teams and yeah. you've worked with so many different types of personalities, different cultures. What are some common misconceptions around sales in the fitness industry that you've come across? Well, obviously, some of the misconceptions are, number one, that you don't need sales, which is just ludicrous. You know, some people believe that everybody, the day they wake up in the morning and decide, I want to be fitter, healthier, and stronger, they're just going to grab their credit card, run to the nearest fitness club, walk in the door, say, there's my credit card, get me started. It would be a lovely industry if that happened. But unfortunately, the product we sell needs to be sell. You know, people don't like exercise, let's be honest. And it's very intimidating to walk into a gym. It's embarrassing and you need sales. The other thing is with regard to myths, and it, it's funny, when I studied sales and marketing, I didn't study the fitness industry. I robbed a lot of what was done in other industries, insurance, motor industry. I studied people like Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, David Sandler, and literally took their sales principles and applied it to the fitness industry. And that hasn't changed, Vanessa, in 30, 40 years, we still use this professional selling. And I would say to anybody, whether it's an influencer on the line, starting a small business, somebody who's doing coaching online, opening a ladies only gym, opening a big gym, building an empire, is this idea of professionalizing what you do. If you're going to be involved in sales, do it professionally. If you're going to do marketing, do it professionally. If you're going to manage a business, manage professionally. It's not like years ago where it was just a hobby in the fitness industry. Now you're competing against players who use professional marketeers, professional salespeople, and professionally qualified managers. But as far as the myths of selling, thinking that you can just open a business and you don't need uh, to influence someone's decision to buy a product or not is just ludicrous. The other myth I would say is this idea that sales is bad. It's not. I mean... What you're really saying to somebody is when you're a professional salesperson is saying, look, you want to get in shape, whatever that may be, Vanessa, maybe you want to lose weight, you want to tone up, you want to get fit, you want to be stronger, you want to be healthier. 
a good salesperson is saying, okay, Vanessa, here's ideally what you would need to do to achieve that. You've lots of options, you've lots of clubs, you've lots. And a good sale becomes the first part of the service where you're showing somebody you can help them get into the shape. Uh, but I think for anybody that wants to do it professionally, you've got to have a sales system. Now, whether that's a system of David Sandler, Tom Hopkins, or Alan Leach, or Casey Connor, whoever, the most important thing is to have a system and internalize that into the way you run your business. And that applies whether you're a personal trainer on your own, whether you own a personal training studio, whether you have a huge big fitness club. I, I could say this over and over again, have a system that is managed 365 days a year and you'll be more than successful. Alan, that's such a good point. Like we need pro- a process around yeah. our, our offerings and our services. Yeah. I think so many of us in the industry are like, well, I'm just out here to help people. And so if I post enough about it on Instagram, <laughs> you know, the sales are just going to happen and, you know, I'm going to get a big amount of followers and then they're going to, and it's, it's ludicrous when I say that out loud, but I have literally spoken to people that that is their mindset. And and you make such a good point about professionalizing ourselves yeah. in our industry, because let's face it. Now there are big corporations involved in the fitness mm-hmm. business. Amazon is a, a player yeah. coming to the market with wearables, Apple fitness, think about their marketing teams and their level of professionalism, yeah. even though we're not necessarily directly competing, that is the level of professionalism that is entering into our industry. And we have to stay on top of what we're putting out there in our sales and marketing. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's it. I mean, the industry is relatively new when you compare it to many other industries, but like any industry that moves along, it will get more professional. And, you know, and nowadays you have digital marketing and social media marketing and content marketing, and, you know, and analytics and all of these things that people, you, you're not just going to get by, well, I kind of just wing it. You're going to need to know what you're doing because other companies, and the good thing about this, Vanessa, is, my experience has been over the last 30 years or 25 years. If you're in the industry, and I say this to any of your viewers, whether it's you're a personal trainer or an influencer or a manager or an owner, is my experience is that 95% of people will not put the work in to do it right. And that's the thing. It's like me, I share so much with people, but I know not all of them are going to put the work in. I can say you need a sales system. I can tell them that you need to do SEO. I can show them how to do search engine optimization. I can teach them about CRM systems or marketing automation. But you then need to go off and put the hours and hours and hours in to implement that. And it doesn't stop once you've got it done. You've got to go and keep at it and keep at it. And my experience is that most people won't do that. The good news is for those that are prepared to put the work in and do it professionally, they're practically guaranteed success. They're just guaranteed. If you do the things that need to be done, you're going to be successful because in my, most cases I see your competitors are not going to do it. That's such a good point, Alan. Now, let me ask you, you just touched on digital marketing and the yes. digital marketing landscape has changed over the last few years. I remember you could put 50 bucks in a Facebook ad and you're getting all these leads and I could do it myself. Now I go into Facebook business manager and I'm like, wow, this has changed. There's so, there's so much available 
to me, are you still recommending that fitness businesses invest in digital ads or are you thinking that they should allocate their funds in different areas and maybe Facebook ads is not necessarily where it's at anymore? What are your observations there? Okay, here's what I'd say about digital marketing. I do this all the time when I present. The problem with digital marketing is it's literally two words put together, marketing and digital. Come up with a new word, digital marketing. And the way if you sell digital marketing services, whether you're Facebook or Google or even the CRM platforms is, if you make it confusing, people will buy it because they just don't know whether it's worth it or not worth it. But there's no doubt you're going to have to learn how to do those things. So when you look at digital marketing, we do search engine optimization, pay-per-click advertising, we do them all. What I say to everybody, just never, never forget, for most cases, digital marketing is about making two companies richer, Google and Facebook. Never forget, they're in the business of selling advertising. 98.5% of Facebook's revenue comes from advertising. They're an advertising organization. Google, it's in the 80%. Their revenue comes from advertising. 86% of U.S. adults taking virtual exercise classes plan to continue doing so as gyms reopen. That's a huge opportunity for anyone looking to launch or expand their virtual fitness offering. Our friends at SyncFloor offer a catalog of over 16,000 songs by the best independent commercial artists. It's great music that can be affordably licensed for both live and video on-demand fitness classes. Listeners of the Business Side of Fitness podcast get their first 30-minute class covered for free. Just go to fitness.syncfloor.com. Link in show notes. The downside is generally to get leads, you're probably going to have to pay them. Now, When people ask me, is it worth it? I say, first of all, remember this. Only you can decide whether it's worth it. You've got to decide how much you pay, how much it's costing you per lead, and how much it's costing you per member. And that's where a lot of people don't do the work. You need to measure those KPIs very, very closely. So that if you find out that it's costing you, and this can happen, it's happened with clubs I know, 80 or $90, let's say, to get a lead. Well, then you say, well, if it's $80, $90 to get a lead, that's just a lead and you're only getting 20% of those leads to visit your club, and then you're selling to 70% of them, you could find out very easy that you're paying more for the leads and the memberships than you're actually making from the member. So you do need to keep an eye on your figures. But I don't think you can get away from the fact nowadays is that you're going to have to get into bed with Google and Facebook generally to generate leads. My advice to anybody when it comes to digital marketing is this, Build your own database, build your own database, build your own database, become a Google, become a Facebook. There's 1.2 million people in Dublin City. We have 330,000 leads in our database. So our goal was always to have as many of them in our database as possible so that when I decide to target those people with SMS marketing or email marketing, I don't have to pay Google or Facebook. So the way I look at Google and Facebook is, it's a way of getting leads. Another way to get leads is to knock on doors and ask for names and addresses. Nobody does that. The old way was when somebody became a member, you said, okay, Vanessa, it's great to have you as a member. Would you like to recommend three other people and you'd phone them out of the blue? A lot of salespeople hated doing that. The good news about digital marketing is if it's done well, all of that old stuff is not necessary. We currently generate 
about 3,300 new sales leads every month through our digital marketing. Now, what I say to people is, that's just your leads. The next step is to get those leads to make contact with them, to get them to visit your club, and then to get them to become members. Because if you've been paying, which we have, 120, 140,000 a year to Google to do Google ads, well, none of those people are joining, we're throwing 140,000 down the drain by put a match to it. So the real thing is, look at these digit marketing tools as a way to get leads, but you've got to have a lead conversion strategy in place because they're just names and emails in a database. And then you've got to get them into your fitness facility and sell them, unless you're a budget club where you're probably going to sell online. So sometimes you can have a two-step sales process where you get leads and then you use other tools to get them to visit your club and then you try to sell them. The big thing with digital marketing, I'd say to anybody now is build your database and use you know really good CRM system and a good marketing automation system. So you use Salesforce and Pardo and Oracle and HubSpot. We use Microsoft Dynamics and Click Dimension. So the idea is that if Vanessa ends up in my database because she saw an ad for a free four-day trial, she's in there, she's getting emails, she's getting texts, she's getting a phone call, everything to move her along the sales channel so she comes and visits our club. But I don't think you can get away from the digital marketing today because, you know, most fitness clubs, their market is geographical in nature. They're within a 12 to 15 minute radius of their club. You can do mass advertising. It's fine. It can work. But I don't think you're going to get away from digital marketing. But you're 100% right. When you look at these digital marketing platforms, Facebook and Google, they are self-administered advertising platforms. They don't do it for you. You've got to learn but look, I say to anybody, I do this all the time. When Facebook came along, I went to Amazon. I buy the six best books of Facebook advertising. I read them from back to front. I like the hell out of them. I learn everything possible. AdWords, you know, I have four or five versions of AdWords books I bought years because they get updated every three or four years. And constantly keeping yourself updated. Or you can use an agency that I don't recommend. But I think if you're a fitness club and you can get on top of that, you need to do that. And I also think you need to differentiate between simply saying I post on social media and actually paying the social media company. Some people can be very, very good at it when they're posting for free and they build up a following and that's fine. Other people, if you really want to get those leads, you're probably going to have to pay these companies. But always have the end goal to own your own database because when you have 330,000 leads in a database, I can decide to just target them. Like if you look at, we dropped to 24,000. We were in lockdown for nine or 10 months. We dropped to 24,000, 33,500 in Dublin. And we came back to 35,000 after COVID. And people ask, how did you do it? Well, I said, I started this project 25 years ago. And I said, you know, 15 to 25 years ago, I was adamant. Every lead, every contact, everything went into a database that we managed and kept clean. So when we choose to target them, we can do it. So when COVID finished, it was very easy for me to say, December 2021, we're going to do a big campaign. We have all our salespeople in because we have the most powerful asset. We have those leads in our database. Such good points, Alan, because I think that a lot of times people confuse, like we were talking about, a, a following on Instagram with a list that you can actually market to yeah. consistently. Instagram owns those followers. If Instagram <laughs> shuts down, there goes your list. You have to yeah. move those people into your database so that you can yeah. continue touching yes. base with them on a variety of different platforms. And you're right. The ROI on, yes, 
the cost of digital ads has gone up and retargeting has been more difficult with iOS updates, but your ROI goes up when you have that sales process on the back end. Like it doesn't, the process doesn't end when somebody, you get a name and number, the process is just beginning. And I think when we look at things that way, it really helps. I told somebody once, I remember they were asking me about AdWords and he used to work for me and he worked for a competitor and he was saying to me about, you know, AdWords, AdWords. And I said to him, I said, Gary, if I walked into your club now and said, I've just been up at the shop, I stood outside the shop and I got the name of 10 people. I just stopped everybody. Would you be interested in a free pass to Westwood Club? And I have the 10 names here in their email and telephone number. And I said, Gary, I'll give you those 10 names if you give me 600 euros, which is about $700. Why would you say, well, would you give me 500 euros? No. Would you give me 200 euros? I said, would you even give me 60 euros for those, those 10 names and emails? He said, no. I said, people are actually spending six and 700 euros sometimes to get 10 leads on backwards. So they don't actually know what they're paying. If I walked in with the list of names to you and said, I got them on the street, you wouldn't give me a couple of hundred euros for them, yet you're paying Google if you don't manage your AdWords campaign, your face campaign, or campaigns properly. And you've got to have a system to convert those leads. You have to. Right. And I think that another thing that sometimes I see people missing is having a strong call to action, having a yeah. clear call to action or having too many calls to action and yeah. confusing people. It's like, do you want me to comment on this? Do you want me to send you a DM? Mm. Do you want me to click something? What do you want me to do? Yeah. <laughs> so, Alan, I would love to hear from your perspective, just from working uh, you know, internationally, how does the European fitness market compare to the American fitness market? I get that asked all the time and it's funny because when you're presenting to younger people you know I say this all the time because I'm in the US a lot I say look when you don't go to the US you have this perception that they do everything fantastically I said look in the US it's like Europe there are amazing clubs run really well that have been business for 40 years and still continue to make massive profits and have a huge impact on the market there are clubs that kind of kept by and there are clubs going bankrupt. It's always the same thing. And when you go to different countries, it's not as different as people think. They think it's different. It's not that different. What you do have is the penetration rates, if you listen to the figures and they're true, in the US, the penetration rate is about 20% of the population go to a health club. In Europe, well, in Ireland, you'd have about 10 or 11%, the UK about 15%. And Europe is kind of odd because even when you see the world the way it is now, you see East and the West and different countries, you can have countries of one and 2% penetration rates in Europe and other countries in Europe with penetration rates of 18 or 19% because Europe is a, is a collection of all these different countries. But as far as the goals people have, and I tell this over and over again, look, what, whether you're dealing with clubs in India or Australia or New Zealand or the US, you still have this thing that people are going to get in shape. They want to be fitter. They want to be healthier. They want to be stronger. They want to live longer. But, you know, they don't see it as much as different as people think it is. And, I'm, you know, when I train salespeople in different parts of the world, and they'll all say the same thing. People are come for the same reasons. There might be different laws regarding taxes and all of that, but it's not as different as people think. Right. We all have, I think at the 
heart of the matter is, you know, we all have that desire to lead happy, healthy lives, right? I think that's a common denominator among different populations. We might, you know, there might be some trends or some, you know, some consumer expectations that might vary slightly with technology and whatnot, but at the end of the day, everybody wants that, right? That's a basic human need, right? <laughs> yeah, I see it all the time. Like if you go in, like we're what's considered a premium priced health club, right? So our clubs have 50 meter pools, 25 meter pools, tennis, squash, racket sports in the US. And we have these big gyms. Some of our clubs have six and seven different teams, group fitness studios. So all of the things you'd see in the US and like we've Les Mills and Mercer in all of our clubs. Like these are huge. And and then you know so we've managers and you get asked a lot of people because we did this recently an exercise why do people join because you have everything with and you hear all this. If you go to the salespeople who've been in sales for years for me and say to them, you know, you ask other managers why people joined at him and at all that thing. If you go to the salespeople that work in those clubs no matter how sophisticated and how fancy and elaborate the clubs is, and you say to the salespeople, why do people join Westwood? They'll all come out very quickly to lose weight, get fit and tone up. And you'd like to hear of all of these mental health and all these, but still, as they'll say, is the vast majority of people we speak to when you ask the question, why do you want to get in shit? Why do you want to come to a fitness club? They'll tell you it's still the basic reasons. And so just having that feedback from, from customers and from your team, what do you think the biggest opportunities are for us in the fitness industry as we look to penetrate greater populations, we look to touch more lives and help more people? What can we do? Well, that, that's an interesting one, right? I was asked that recently. What do you think the biggest impact on the fitness industry is being? So if you take it, there's the, if you wanted to, for the sake of it, to divide it between the brick and mortar clubs and the, the virtual fitness that, you know, has obviously been in everybody's lips for the last year or two. I never believed that virtual or online fitness was ever going to take up from the brick and mortar. I never believed that. How could it? I mean, you know, a, a, a TV screen with a bike in your sitting room is not the same as lines of treadmills and weights and all the other things. Now, it's for some people or whatever. But I do believe that one of the big things that has impacted the fitness industry is social media. Now, when I say social media, I do not believe that it's the way that fitness clubs are doing social media. The influencers, in fairness, have done a lot of good work for the fitness industry, even though some people are critical of the way some have done it. Because I believe that what you're seeing now is, whether rightly or wrongly, and I look at my own daughter, younger people are seeing that it's the norm to go to a gym and work out. More and more they're seeing, look, more and more people are doing it. And I've seen how the market has changed that years ago you got into it because you get to fitness, you get to weight training, and a lot of people were afraid to come in. But it certainly made it, I believe, more accessible because years ago when I started, you want to learn about fitness, you go away to the US, and you ordered a book and you ordered muscle and fitness, and you waited for three months to arrive and you tumped through it to learn about fitness. That's all on people's phones now. And they can see that more and more, like I even see it with consumers coming in now, the 21-year-old or 22-year-old is already coming in and knows what a bench press is and knows what functional training is and knows what the glute maximus and all of these things because they're nearly looking this up online in their spare time. So I do see that more and more and more because of social media, the younger generation is seeing that working out and fitness and being part of a gym 
is as much a part of their life as going to restaurants and everything else. And I see it in my own nephews and nieces. I see, you know, I look at nephews and nieces I have now and probably 60% of them are going to a gym or a personal training studio. That would not have been the case when I was 30. I was the freak, to be honest with you. So I think that's had a big impact, but it wasn't the gyms that did that. It was just that, you know, YouTube came along, social media came along, Instagram came along. You know, I know people will say that some of it, you know, makes people feel insecure or whatever. But look, let's be honest, magazines were doing that for years. So that's one thing that I see. I definitely see the professionalization of clubs becoming a big thing. Clubs can really take their service serious, their marketing serious, the experience seriously, and really bring that to the market. It can definitely happen. And I also see what's happening in the market is that it's becoming a lot more fragmented. I think for people who enter the industry years ago, you nearly have to go to borrow a million to open a fitness center. Now you see newly qualified or maybe a year or two at a university and they're opening a personal training studio, they're opening a yoga studio, Pilates studios. So definitely people can go into the industry easier to work for themselves than they would have a few years ago. Great points. I think that, you know, it makes me excited to hear that, you know, people are leaving corporate jobs and, yes. you know, going into the fitness industry. I remember, you know, when I started <laughs> out, I was like, it's like, you have a college degree. Why are you working in the fitness industry? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, that's for jocks, you know? Yeah. And, and so that's very exciting. And then the influencer marketing, you're, you're spot on there. And I think that sometimes when we hear influencer marketing, we think of people with a million followers on Instagram, but there's yeah. also micro influencers yeah. in your community that yeah. you can really tap into. Are the real influencers in your local market. And there's some really cool technology tools that are out there that are helping you identify influencers in your community that I think are, are really interesting. My next question, Alan, is, you know, as the chair of URSA, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your responsibilities. I think a lot of people in the fitness industry know what URSA is. They know the value of URSA, but they don't know what exactly URSA is doing and how they can support the mission that URSA is on. So can you just share a little bit about your work there? Well, URSA, you know, the International Health Racket Sports Club Association, URSA's mission is to grow, protect, protect or promote the fitness industry. Now, what does that mean is, and they've done a great job of it. I mean, to grow the industry to where it used to be 2 or 3% penetration, where in the U.S. is 20% penetration rate. So definitely URSA has been at the forefront of growing the industry globally. And then the, the other thing, too, is to promote the industry and, you know, to let people know that the fitness industry is a good industry. It's professional. It's more and more being recognized by the medical profession as, you know, as, 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 as medicine, that exercise is part of people's lives, that on a regular basis, if you exercise, you're going to be healthier, live longer. And then the other thing is to protect the industry. And that's where they're doing a huge amount of work now, or so with the new CEO is advocacy, advocacy, advocacy to protect the interests of people in the fitness industry. Entrepreneurs who invest their money in the fitness industry. If you look at the COVID, it certainly brought this home. When, and I said this recently in a talk, for 30, 40, 50 years, the medical profession, government bodies, health bodies have, promote, have been promoting and investing billions in educating people about the benefits of exercise the benefits of exercise, the benefits of exercise. And who was providing those facilities? 
But entrepreneurs who decided to go into the fitness industry and open health clubs and open fitness studios so that people go there and exercise. So in a way, you are doing a good thing. Sometimes it's looked, well, they're just into the money. I, I don't believe so. I think they're just entrepreneurs who've chosen the fitness industry as a way to be in business. But when you look at COVID, when it came to the crunch, the one industry that was providing health and fitness services as far as you know, looking after yourself really globally didn't get the support that they needed. They didn't get the support from, in certain countries, from governments. Some of these businesses had to close for eight, nine, and 10 months with zero revenue and zero income. And, you know, people working in the fitness industry are putting the dough. Look, I don't want to get into the politics of it and whether maybe history will tell is right or wrong, but certainly they weren't seen in the same way other people in the medical profession were seen, you know, physiotherapists and doctors or whatever. But URSA is, you know, it's, it's a lot of tentacles. It's about growing the industry. It's about advocacy. It's about bringing together the global fitness industry that can come up with ideas to grow it, ideas to protect it. But also, URSA is a huge, huge educational resource, huge. Like, I will say this, and it's not just because I'm the chair or even I was on the board. I joined URSA when I was 22. I went to my first conference. I can tell you categorically, the clubs that I worked for would not be where they were if it were not for URSA. I mean, we built our strategies and everything else with URSA publications. And it was nothing more than buying publications and trying to professionalize everything. And URSA will continue to do that. What it is going to do now is because of the actual name, URSA Health Club and Racket Sports Association, sometimes it wasn't seen as something for the smaller gyms and the studios and that. And they want to open up that tent because we're all in the same industry, whether it's, you know, Mr. Jones with a local yoga studio or Mrs. Jones with a Pilates studio. We're all in the same industry and we're all part of this 4.2 trillion wellness industry. So URSA's goal in the next you know, year or two will be to bring all of these people into the tent and, it, and for URSA to be the representative body for those clubs around the world and particularly to advocate for them, whether that's a better taxation or protection from you know, laws that make things difficult in the fitness industry. And that's what URSA is really about. And it makes me feel so good knowing that there are people out there that are looking at the industry from really a macro level. And I think, you know, a lot of us as operators were in the weeds dealing with, you know, fighting fires and and all the things that come up in the day-to-day operations. And it's great to have an organization that's on the working on the macro level to really advance the industry and to help us make headway in, you know, the politics and, and all of that so that we can focus on our businesses. One more question, Alan, last question, promise. I think there's a big, I think to a lot of people, they put sales and marketing in the same bucket, but sales and marketing are not one in the same, they have to work in tandem to be very successful. But what would you say to somebody that doesn't really understand the differences between sales and marketing and how they need to work together? You know, fantastic question, Vanessa, because that isn't, that happens all the time. I present all over the world and I'm talking about people who are very successful and very wealthy. And when you use the word marketing, they think it's sales and advertising and it's not. You know, you go to university for four or five years to study marketing, because hopefully there's a lot more to it than sales. I'll put it to you this way. I went to university for five years to study marketing. Sales was never mentioned. You don't do sales training. You don't learn about the sales process or anything like that. 
There's another very good book called The Art of the Sale, where a guy went to Harvard to do an MBA. He was a journalist. He wrote the book because he discovered after doing a primary degree, being a journalist and doing an MBA, how can you churn people out of Harvard after an MBA and you never once discussed the sales process? So he wrote this book. But I think the main difference is when you look at marketing, marketing is really everything that you do that influences someone's decision whether to buy a product or not. It's also everything you do that influences someone's decision whether to continue to buy a product or not. But when you look at it like that, you'll see that marketing is the price. You're charging the right price. Have you got the right products? Are you in the right location? How are you position the market? So you look, you've got 10 competitors. Are you doing something to make sure that you stand out from those competitors? Budget club, boutique club, family club, you're the premium one. The ideal way to be is to do everything in your power to make sure you're just different. You don't want to be the best, just different for a large enough segment that will want to pay. You're going to be looking at segmentation. You're going to be looking at targeting. What's happened in marketing is they talk about the marketing mix, you know, the price, the promotion, the place, and all of this. What's happened is marketing has become a one-peak function, which is promotion. And everybody thinks marketing is just promotion and advertising special office. It's ludicrous. That's not what it is. Sales, on the other hand, is really for most people talking about, you know, your communication face-to-face with public, like I'm talking to you, or we talk on the phone. It's your ability to get somebody to buy a product. Uh, so they are different. My advice to people is, and it's probably why we have been successful, I'm the CEO of the company. I'm a marketeer and I'm a salesperson. So I never have a problem of those two things. And I never realized that until recently when someone asked about it, you know, it was a seminar where I speak it about how do you align sales and marketing? And I just couldn't understand the question because I've never had a problem aligning because I'm both. So, you know, one day I'm talking about positioning and branding and then I'm training the salespeople and then I'm getting involved with digital marketing. So in a way, I learned through the process, sales, 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 and then I look for a better way to get leads, marketing, marketing, marketing. And then when you're the CEO, you don't have that problem. I've never had that problem because I can decide, well, the salespeople are doing what I need them to do and I'm doing the marketing and these. So it's never, but in big organizations, it is a constant, constant problem because the salespeople are blaming the marketing department for generating leads that have no interest. The marketing department are generating a blaming sales because they can't convert those leads. And um, well, this is terrible. when you're the ultimate, you know, decider, it's a lot easier. But you know, in the limited time we have, marketing is far more than sales. You know, when I, I say this to people, you know, you're all marketeers in the fitness industry. When you're doing the timetable for your group fitness, you're a marketeer because you're creating the product there and now. So if you decide to put, you know, a Les Mills body pump at seven because you're making that decision, remember, that's impacting a consumer's decision whether to continue to buy or not. So that's marketing. If, when, when Steve Jobs created the telephone and they decided what apps to put in it and what glass, they're creating the product. That's marketing. When they decide, will we sell this for $9.99 or $900? That's marketing. They do a lot of research to see what works. So when you create a product, that is marketing. And when you decide, will we sell this in all shops or just an Apple shop? That's a marketing decision. When all of that is done, then the promotional part comes in. So we have the product, we have what we're going to do. How do we promote that? That's another part of marketing. Now, in some services and products, face-to-face selling comes into play. So maybe in an Apple shop, face-to-face selling is important. 
generally in the fitness industry, face-to-face selling is going to be a part of it. So hopefully that gives you an idea of the difference, but marketing is far more than sales. I wish it was just sales, but you know, you, you're thinking about a lot more than just that end part when somebody comes in. But when you know more about marketing, you realize that after that sales, that's when in services marketing, services marketing, that's when the marketing starts. So what's your reception like? How well do you train your staff? You know, what are the classes like? Are they right for the market that you serve? That hour and a half circuit class that you put on, did you think about the market that you serve? You're, you're targeting the deconditioned market, yet you're putting on an hour and a half class. They're usually marketing decisions in a normal services marketing organization. And you have to think about all of those, all of those to get them right so that people will continue to pay you. And then the other thing too, and I say this marketing, the people you hire is marketing. You know, when you create a product and you decide what color will we make this, you're hoping that color will get people to buy more of this phone. Well, people are like the colors you put in a product. Are you hiring the right people? Are they service orientated? You know, all of this is marketing. And anybody that would have studied marketing would understand that, that it's far more than just sales. Amen. And your people are an extension of your brand. And and you're so right that the marketing process for, you know, it just changes. But once somebody becomes a member, then you want to, you know, go into NPS. You want to see, you know, go dial into your referral strategy. You're, you're then focusing on increasing the lifetime value of the client. It doesn't, some, some people think marketing is just getting people in the door. No, it's so much more than that. And then they think like, okay, like just get people in the door and then we'll figure out what, you know, we'll figure it out from there. And then you're bleeding people out the back end. So you really have to, it, there's just like a continuum that never ends, really. The marketing never stops. No, so we do, one of the things we do, we have an onboarding system. We call it our six-day personal training plan. So you join the club, Vanessa, you're going to get six sessions with a train. Now we, we do differentiate. We say it's not really full personal training. It's an assessment. It's a 21-point results questionnaire. We talk to you about the results you want. We do program, we review it in these six sessions. And it's free with the membership. And then people would ask me, you provide that free, but what about the money you're losing in personal training? And I'd say, you just said it, Vanessa. The lifetime value of a member, I said, if we extend the average lifetime value by one month, it's 2.78 million euros. 2.78 million so it says, when, it, when I tell you I'm giving that for free, I'm not. I'm hoping to get another nearly 3 million euros from it if I extend it by one month. And there's a lot of personal training to be sold to get 2.7 million profit. <laughs> so really, everything we do is to, again, is this marketing, you know, like I'll give you an idea. If you join our club, you're getting an email immediately. I think it's set up whatever, eight, eight days or 10 days. I can't remember. It's all automated. Hi, Vanessa, just want to check everything's going well at the club. Did you get booked in for your free six-day personal training plan? This is going to make a huge tip. We want people to do it. So the days of, you know, this myth that goes out there that gyms want people to pay and not use the club is nonsense. It's just nonsense. But to deal with the media so many times about that, we want people to use our clubs because if they use our clubs and they use it two, two, twice a week, three times a week, and they go to a class and they use your spa, they're going to stay. So we use marketing to get you to participate in what we provide. We're not charging you for it, 
but we know we're going to get it at the back end because that membership gets longer and longer and longer. Right. And we don't want people just coming in and paying the EFT on a monthly basis. We want them working with a trainer, buying yeah. a smoothie from the smoothie yeah. shop and all yeah. the things. And Alan, I'm sorry, I lied. That wasn't the last question. One more thing, because you Go just ahead. brought it up. You got the wheels turning over here. What is your, What are your thoughts on fitness services and fitness offerings, fitness clubs, using just automations to sell memberships as opposed to salespeople. I think in the boutique fitness space, this is more common where they're not necessarily relying on the front desk to make a a sale, but I have kind of conflicting thoughts on it. And I would just love to hear your thoughts. Okay. I was asked exactly the same question earlier on. Um, if, if, If you were a club, that operates around eight or 900 members, okay? Small club, you're charging $30 a month for one of these budget clubs. You can't afford to have a full sales team. You just simply can't. You've made the decision that you're automating the sales process online. You're giving the prices, hoping to give you a name. And if they don't join, you can follow them up with marketing automation software. Like, you know, there's lots of different products out there now. And um, we made the decision that there were at the premium end. We charge nearly $100 a month for membership. We charge nearly a $700 enrollment fee, okay? If we advertise that in line and we try to sell it in line, we know, I can, we just know 100% we're not going to sell as many memberships. It's not going to happen. So in our product, we're the premium end that relies very heavily on face-to-face selling. And if you look at our club with 11,000 members, we don't use front desk ever to sell membership. We have a dedicated sales team in all our clubs. So if you look at the biggest club, it'll have sales manager and five salespeople. And if you look at the next one down, might be a sales manager and four salespeople. The smaller clubs with three and a half thousand members might have a sales manager and two salespeople. And they're busy generating new leads or, or dealing with new leads and getting those people to join. And then we've got over 390 or 400 people to service those members. That's our model. That's the model we've chosen. It works really well and hugely profitable because of it. Then you have the budget end, which is charging, you know, $10, $15. Well, that's fine. They Why would they need it? There's the price. They're selling a price. You, the only thing I would say to most people who choose going to the budget end, generally, and this is in every industry, there's usually room for one player at the budget end. Now, I'm talking about any industry, never mind the, the fitness industry. So people that think they're going to go in and take on Planet Fitness charging budget prices, the likelihood you'll last is very, very slim. They have just got the economies of scale, they've got a huge brand, they do really, really well, and they've got a great reputation. You know, they do it really, really well. But generally in industries, there's a lot of room at top for premium players that do it well. So that's the first thing. The next thing that I'd say to you is there's a massive, massive difference between professionally trained salespeople who see it as a career, read all the sales book, go to constant training and have a really proven sales system and use that 365 days a year. There's a massive difference between that and people that just call them salespeople, salespersons. So I've gone into clubs where we have salespeople. They've never had training. They don't know what they're doing. You walk in, here's the price, you show you around. That owner thinks sales doesn't work because they hired two or three salespeople who put that I did sales on my, you know, my, my resume and they gave them a job. But generally, 
you need to understand that what we have is salespeople that are going through four to five weeks of sales training per year. They're going through a full week of sales training before they ever tour anybody. We have sales managers that know that system backwards. They've come up through the system. So that works for us. So it's, it's difficult to say which is best because I've heard people, well, sales didn't work at our club because they hire me afterwards. And they say, well, what sales training did they go through? They didn't go through any. Well, then they weren't really salespeople. They were just someone you called salespeople. And then, you know, reception doing it over a counter, look, that doesn't work to you. It just doesn't. The sales process. And the other thing we do as well is, and I've done it for years, I don't study the fitness industry for any of these things. I look at other industries. For service, I look at Disney, I look at Ritz-Carlton, I look at all of those organizations and implement it into what we do. For sales, I look at Tom Hopkins, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, all of these people and the top sales organizations, insurance companies, car companies. And we, we take what they do and put it into our organization. But I don't really go out and look at what other fitness clubs do when it comes to management. I might rob designs or clubs or whatever. But, but look, all I can say is in our organization, hugely prop we would be out of business in the morning we didn't have sales team we just just wouldn't be around you know just it's just unheard of um, and would we have ever recovered from COVID no I mean we've gone from in seven months seven months after being closed for 10 months we're back to way above COVID figures you know and that's because professional salespeople, professional marketing database management digital marketing direct marketing and these things that have been around for years. It's just about doing it professionally. You're so spot on and you have to, you can't skip the step of investing yeah. in your team and then expect yeah. outrageous results. Basically, yeah. a lot of businesses are running with glorified front desk people and yeah. calling them a sales team, but they don't have, it's not that they don't want to follow a sales process, but they just don't know because they're not taught and they need to be, you know, led in a way that can really produce results. And if you're not willing and you want to take that shortcut, then you can't be surprised when you don't yeah, get results and yeah. it doesn't work. I mean, it's a no-brainer there. But I look at sales like Vanessa, four things. One, a sales system, a proven sales system that's documented, it's in manuals, it's been tried and tested. Whether you purchase one from Alan Leach or Casey Conrad or David Sandler or any of these you have a sales system. The second thing is you provide huge amount of sales training. With those systems to be effective, you're going to be training on a regular basis. You get it right, we train you again, we train you again. And that's why a lot of our employees get snapped up by Salesforce and HubSpot and Oracle. They work for them all because they get so much training. The third thing you need is that system needs to be managed. Now, whether that's an owner managing it, a general manager managing it, or a sales manager, somebody has to be responsible but that sales system is being used 365 days a year and people are following it. And then you need the people to do the sales. And that varies from the type of fitness business you have. If you're a personal trainer with a small studio, you're the owner, the manager, the personal trainer, the salesperson, the marketing person, the cleaner. If you've got a thousand members, well, you might be the general manager and the sales manager. If you're like us and you clubs a 10 and 11,000 members paying premium prices. Well, then you have general managers and duty managers and sales managers and all of this. Uh, so it's never black and white, but generally you need some sort of a sales and marketing function that operates 365 days a year, even if you choose the marketing automation route. And, you know, if you look at us, we do both. 
We're using marketing automation, best practice marketing automation to move people from being a lead on our website to coming and visiting our club. We're having human beings on top of that, talking to these people on the phone and when they come in, tour them. And when they join, we use marketing automation for service communication as well as human beings because when they work together and they're done with, with an end goal in, in the mind, but then they work well. Do we get things wrong, Vanessa? Every day of the week. Have we tried things and it's taken six months to realize it's actually better this way? All the time. And all of these, all of these things, Vanessa, take work. You know, I've seen people, I bought a marketing automation system. I said, well, you know, when you get the marketing automation system that you're just about to pay a hundred grand a year for, you know, they don't write the emails for you. You know, they don't set out the workflows. You know, they don't know your customer. You do all of that yourself. And it's like, it's like search engine optimization. I said, you know, when you buy your website template, Google, you know, Google doesn't write the content for you. They don't research it for you. You do it all yourself. Right. And it's not just set it and forget it. You have to constantly <laughs> monitor the results and then refine, right? If you're not getting responses to one of your automations, you might want to tweak the copy, but you've got to yeah. give it a little time to test. But, you know, I could talk to you about this all day long and geek out on all the things sales and marketing. It's been such a treat to learn from you, Alan. If somebody wants to connect with you or they want to learn more about the Westwood Club, how can they do that? They can contact me. Probably the easiest way. I give everybody access to my personal email. Alan, A-L-A-N dot leach, L-E-A-C-H at Westwood. I'll send it to you, Vanessa, and you can share it with them. You have your people put it on the screen. So Alan dot leach at Westwood. I have other emails as well, marketing. But, you know, people ask me when I present, when you send me the presentation, I always just send it away so they can contact me there. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you, Vanessa. The Summit by BFS is back in New York City, April 28th to 30th. Focused solely on boutique fitness, you won't want to miss their elite lineup of speakers and panelists, including keynote speakers Jay Galuzzo, prior co-founder and CEO of Flywheel, and Sadie Lincoln, co-founder and CEO of Bar3. Space is limited. Get your ticket before they sell out. Visit bfs2022.com today and make sure to get your ticket before April 15th when registration closes. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. Thanks for tuning into this episode. If it brought you value, please subscribe, review, and share the Business Side of Fitness podcast. If you'd like to learn more about working with me, please click the link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.